Hi, I'm Neil, and this is Man with a Music Minute, the podcast where I discuss music videos one minute at a time. Starting with Ziga Vertov's 1929 film Man with a Movie Camera, with a soundtrack by the Cinematic Orchestra. Editing Neil here. This episode is quite different from the last two. I had fun talking to Dylan and Connor about a film that they've never seen and about our favourite music videos. But I haven't really introduced myself yet. So I'm a middle-aged Scot living in Australia with my wife and three sons. I've loved music for as long as I can remember and I've made a few attempts at making my own music. When Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon turned 50 this year, I decided that since I was also born in 1973, I could be a timeless classic too. I recently saw a video called Hi Ren by Ren, which inspired me to record my music and my podcast, despite my scarred vocal cords. You see, I lost my voice 12 years ago, and I had nine operations to get it back. My voice has healed a lot since then, But I lost my confidence and Ren inspired me to accept my voice as it is and do the best with what I have now without waiting for it to be perfect. The main themes of this podcast are discovery and inspiration and I haven't really explained why I love music videos and this film, Man with a Movie Camera, so much. But this week's guest explains it perfectly. He talks about the marriage of sound and vision, which inspired him and in turn inspired me. And he explains why Man with a Movie Camera is a landmark achievement in his career. And I say his career because he is one of the people who created my favourite music video and he's also the co-founder of my favourite record label and the designer of the software, the, the mobile app that I've been so obsessed with recently since it was released a month ago I've had a few guests lined up and I thought if I was really lucky I might eventually get one of the staff members from Ninja Tune to come on the podcast but just by being enthusiastic and reaching out at the right time my first guest is the main inspiration for this podcast Matt Black I really enjoyed speaking to Matt and I could have spoken to him for days but I'm really grateful for him taking the time to speak so passionately about everything he does. Before you hear the interview, just a quick note about the sound. I got a cold the day before the interview, so my voice is a bit rougher than usual. And there's a bit of an echo at the start, but I managed to get rid of that. If you can get over those two things, I'm sure you'll enjoy the interview as much as I did. Also, this is usually a family show, but Matt's passion comes with a lot of swearing. And I haven't cut any of it out, so you have been warned. So please enjoy my chat with Matt Black. Hi, this week I'm going to be discussing Minute 3 of Man with a Movie Camera. And I'll be talking to my guest about his favourite music video. Um, And this week, amazingly, I've got the one and only Matt Black with me. Uh, Hi Matt, how are you doing? Hello, hi there. Good to... 
or should I call you Chief? Uh, Neil is fine. Uh, Chief's just a stage name. <laughs> Not that I ever go on the stage. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, people won't know, but we we go back a long way. You you don't even know this because <laughs> you won't remember it. But um, back in December 1999, uh, I came to to a gig of yours, and um, basically I, I turned up early, and you were standing there waiting for everybody to come in. And just chatting to people as they, as they arrived, and that, that, that amazed me that you were so uh, welcoming. And um, I went up and chatted to you and, and asked you about the the, um, the support act, and you were so enthusiastic about this guy, and you were telling me about everything he does with four decks and no headphones, and it's impressed me so much that I actually bought his cassettes, scratch, 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 before it even seen Good koala. So it was December '99. Um, yeah, I bought it, and then when I saw Kid Koala performing his scratch technique, I was amazed. Uh, my mind was blown. But then, of course, I saw Cold Cut, and I'd heard your music before, but to see you live performing like that, um, from my memory, I think you were on the decks, and John was doing the visuals. Would that be right? Uh, no, actually, no. In nineteen ninety nine, so that's around the Let's Play tour. Actually, I was doing mainly the visuals or the audio visuals oh, using right. the other way around. And John was doing the um, if it's the the show I'm thinking of, the audio visual show. That's the Let's Play show. Then I was using uh, V Jam, and John was using D Jam, which was the audio mix, which is the forerunner of Ninja Jam. Basically, a very similar concept to four channel loop mixer where we put in all the bits from our tracks so we could remix them live so that was the setup at that time right well so you, you were already in those days working with software and um and, and doing it all with, with your computers that's, that's right well I, I had no idea back then and it just blew my mind that that was possible um even in 99 um, but yeah i mean Back then, my computer was struggling just to to run the CD-ROM of, of Timber because there was so many visuals coming at once. My, yeah, my yeah, old computer just struggle. couldn't handle it. They did struggle, you know. Actually, um, yeah. you know, other uh, there was EBN uh, act from AV Act from New York that inspired us a lot, and they used to put yeah. all their stuff in, in like rack mount computers. So yeah. that made it very difficult for them to tour. Very expensive because that stuff's really heavy and fragile. So early on, we came across the laptop as being the best solution for it because you could keep yeah, it in yeah. your bag. And although they're not as powerful as the rack mounts, we found we could just about squeeze enough uh, power out of them to do these shows. And that's uh, been a thing that we've done over the years. And not that I want to be a salesman for Dell or Apple even, but um, no, the laptop's been a kind of a handy invention to have your studio. It can be a, a, an audio visual studio and an instrument right there in your in your backpack and um yeah that, that worked well for us for a good few years yeah yeah it's a lot easier you don't have to have as much of an entourage bringing all your equipment with you well it's also they did involve a fair bit of wiring and so on when you get into the video mix style part of it and you know, a bit of circuit bending that we did to get all the circuitry sometimes i look at our setups from those days and the amount of cables and wiring and boxes and think well actually 
that was an art piece in itself. <laughs> we were crazy to like set this shit up every time for a show, but that was the only way we could do what we wanted to do. So we did it. Yeah, yeah. So did you always work that way around at that time? You had you did the visuals and John was doing the the sound. Um, and did yeah, that change that was, later on? Uh, we've been through various configurations of it. Um, I think around going back to say the last uh, cold cut tour we did our 30th anniversary tour 2017 and John and I were using both using jam then on the iPads right so we would swap back and forth he would do a track and I'd do a track and we did right. stuff on top and then actually my partner my wife Dinars she was doing the visuals and we were sort of triggered from from the app because jam can trigger visuals by, by midi so we trigger visuals in Resolution, and then Dinny would mix the visuals, layer them in, and put effects and stuff on top. So that was a bit of a different setup. And then over the years, we've had, had many different setups. We've worked with different people. One time we had a scratch DJ Raj Panu, and then you do audio visual scratching off a DVJ, Pioneer DVJ, and um, and then we'd, of course, work with MCs like Ju Salim as well live. Um, and yeah, John and I would find different ways to divvy it up. But all since then, that time when you saw us, Colcut's generally always been an audiovisual show. So yeah. Yeah. it proved very fruitful, this idea of taking the ideas of hip hop and, and sampling and electronic music and applying them to visuals. So, you know, yeah. and you, could sample, you could sample visuals, you could loop them, you could process them, you could layer them, you could scratch them. Um, yep. Yep. And that, that direction kept us going for quite a while and you know timber was a good example of that but we've taken it on in different vectors as well yeah yeah uh, that's that's basically what this podcast for me is all about is the love of the music and image going together in such an amazing way and yeah. i'm hoping I to explore that in all sorts of music but i i i've actually tried to give it a name recently because it's not really legible what it is but you could call it audio visualism. I think something yeah. an ism is quite nice. Cubism, turntablism, yeah. you know. Um, and I think it is a thing. And it's not just a film with some music and some images. It's about the relationship. So for me, audio visualism is the art of audio visual relationship. It's about yeah. creating and investigating relationships between sound and image, sound and light. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Audio visualism for the win. Let's try it. Definitely. Yeah, I might even put that in my in my title. <laughs> Audio visualism. Excellent. Yeah. So um back in the early days and I think about you didn't have so much visuals, you were working with Lisa Stansfield and um and you did your remix, your unofficial remix of Eric B and Rakim. Back then, did you realize how much of a, an effect you could have with, you know, working with visuals as well and to, to put a message in your music as well? Because you've got a thread of a lot of political stuff in a lot of your songs going through the years. Um, well, did you political... realize back then it was possible? Yeah. Well, there's two questions there. I mean, the first thing, the political side, you know, even with, say, Stop This Crazy Thing, which was... Uh, track we did with Junior Reed after people hold on, even people hold on to political song, you know, social yeah. movement, people to stand up. And um, so we had that wanting to 
have some message in our music that was about the real world and hopefully in a positive one. And, and also criticizing the establishment as well and just pointing out what's what's wrong. Um, so that's one thing. And then, you know, as we got into the idea that visuals could be an effective way of really first, it was about increasing this kind of the impact of what we were doing. And and also just that it was cool. You know, we'd, we'd got into hip hop, been uh, entranced by it, fascinated by it, got into making it. Um, and then, as I say, taking those some of those ideas and applying them to visuals, it just was a, it seemed like a really cool thing to do. It really fascinated me. Um, yeah. And I remember going to Selfridges in London and seeing um, the Juggler demo running on an Amiga there. And if you remember the Juggler demo, it was like a 3D rendered little loop of this Juggler, robotic Juggler on a, um, a green and yellow checkered landscape. And it was like ray traced, so you got the reflections of these uh, of the glass balls reflecting the side. It's like I saw that, and I thought, like, wow, that means you could make a movie on your desktop. And actually, I don't want to give it away, but the, if you if you're going to ask me about my favourite video, actually, it has a reference to this story, which we'll maybe we'll discuss that later. Okay. Yeah, but, oh, excellent. Um, um, atomic dog, but let's we'll get into that a bit later. But you know, okay. around that time. So I got an Amiga, I went home and I ordered an Amiga and I had a frame grabber, which was a simple sort of video sampler called Video Amiga. It was like 40 quid, you know, real right. kind of uh, available, um, accessible price. But it was very limited. You could only sample a few seconds of black and white low res video into it, but you could have a video sampler and then you could paint on top of it, right? So you could sample oh, images yeah. and then start remixing and messing and mashing the images. And I got well into this just at home. I was getting really, possessed with it and um i thought like yeah this is the next thing you know this is taking what we've been exposed to and excited about with hip-hop and electronic music because we already had a sequencer and a little sampler then and cold cut was taking off you know this is like 89 and um and uh yeah started getting amongst that i that idea that we could take this forward with visuals in the same way we had did with music and then I met these guys, Rob and Miles, Rob Pepperell and Miles Visman, and Mixmaster Morris, my great friend, and someone who's been with us since the beginning and been a great inspiration and connector of people. He introduced me to these two art students, Rob and Miles, and they were using computers to do art. So I think this is probably yeah, end of 1988. And um, so they got it. They they were convinced that this was like the next thing in art. They'd been at uh, Goldsmiths, I think it was, I'm not sure, at Art College in London. Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I totally get this. This is in line with what I'm trying to do as well. So that, we got together and we sort of formed a, a collaboration which became called Hex in the end. Right. That, that was a sort of playground for Colcut, me and John, to work with these talented young artists, um, a bit younger than us, and um, and get explore and uh, play with these ideas so that was a big step forward that meeting and that was really what kind of yeah fuels the next few years of experimentation up to the show that you saw which you know rob was very involved with and and um top banana show uh, game that we made with them and the um global chaos cd tv the interactive cd rom other interactive audiovisual stuff that we did with them that was all out of that collaboration really yeah yeah um, 
Yeah, Timber was, for me, was such a, a mind-blowing thing. I heard it first, and then when I saw where all those sounds were coming from, it just it blew me away. And the idea that you could so release a single true. back then. Yeah, that, that's true. It was an, the next collaborator who came along, who I met yeah. via his thing, the Ambient Club and the Big Chill um, connection there. That's how I met Stuart Warren Hill. And so he came right. down to eventually work in my studio. He had an Amiga as well, so he was on the same tip. And then, then I got a Mac and a Video Vision sampling board, and I was like, let's do some stuff with this. So out of that, that's how uh, Stu took that and really ran with it, and that's how we did Natural Rhythm and Timber as well. Right. Yeah. So did Hex then become Hexstatic? Was it, there's a, yeah. a link there? Yeah, Yeah. basically, yeah. Initially, Hex was me and, and Robin Miles, and, um, and then Stuart kind of joined that posse as well, and then that evolved into Hexstatic, right. and then kind of they formed their own identity and I, I was doing more stuff with Colker again but yeah that was the posse excellent excellent so um generally we, we go first to uh, discuss the the minute of um man with a movie camera um so we've been talking about um, a lot of stuff from the past but um and the, I don't know the, the cinematic orchestra myself, but it seems that they're really interested in kind of social issues. If, if they've taken a film like Man of the Movie Camera and put all the work into producing this music for it, they must, you know, appreciate the the, the social stuff that's going on in that movie. Um, Is that tough? Yeah, you'd have to. Yeah, I, I would I'm love sure to. about that. I I saw it more as an artistic. Thing, you know when they when I first saw it but yeah we'll come to that so because it's a good yeah. thing that I'm glad you we're discussing that but that was a very significant moment on this journey as well yeah um why would you say it was significant what's what's significant about that okay so you know when when did it when did it come out I mean I know man with a movie camera came out was it 1927 I think right but when did uh, uh, that treatment of it that was 2003, 20 years ago. Okay, oh, right. So, during the 90s, Hex were playing with these ideas, and we started VJing, and we started doing the, the Let's Play, the audiovisual tour. So, developed these ideas quite extensively, wrote, wrote some software that we needed to do this. So, we were doing live audiovisual entertainment montage, right? And, um, you know, Timber was a definite milestone there. And it, that, it's, a, it's a good coherent piece. It's got a strong theme. All the samples are really good. It's legible. And actually, we haven't managed to do anything better than, than that. <laughs> and then I think I was going to say it was my favorite, but yeah, you've done a lot yeah, of good stuff. You know, it was a good milestone, wasn't it? So, but then, you know, so, well, what's next after that? And um, I thought that the next thing would be that we would, you know, take over cinema we'd come with a whole new way of making cinema. And indeed, that this was modern art. I was even on the Melvin Bragg, what's it called? The Young South Bank show, or something like that going on about. I was quite angry. I saw this video of me. I was like, wow, I was really angry, wasn't I? But I was passionate about it. It's like, this is modern art. Not all that crap that they're teaching in the art school. Painting and sculpture, it's done. It's going to be techno-powered, technology-powered electronic art, which is going to be the next thing. And um, see, it took a while, but I think broadly, you know, I, I had a good point there. And um, 
but I wasn't sure, you know, I didn't really know how to do it, but it seemed like, well, the next thing should be not just a five minute video, it should be a film. Um, I was very inspired by Fantasia when I was a kid. That was a long form film, a film length art piece about, I would say, audiovisualism. It was yeah. about a relationship between sound and, and image, wasn't it? With these brilliant animations. Yeah. I yeah. remember the ones where you see the waveform of the different instruments and they talk you through the orchestra. I was, I was like, wow, that is so cool. Really, really tickled me. Yeah. Um, and uh, of course, you know, Oscar Fischinger and pioneers like that were, were involved with it as well and um so that that was an interesting milestone as well before maybe before uh, you know we got started so come the late 90s we're thinking about like well what's next and um there is a significant film length piece that uh, i was aware of there and it was made by lucky people center in stockholm and okay. they were a bunch of vjs using and it was ebn i want to credit ebn from new york they were the first people I saw doing audiovisual cut-up in the in the hip-hop style. It's kind of, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. These guys are doing it. And the Lucky People Center from Stockholm were also on the tip as well. I made some great cut-ups, but then they went around the world and filmed loads of stuff and made a, a whole film. It was the kind of the first DJ audiovisual, audiovisualism film. And it was, had some good themes in it. It was about, you know, man is the animal that, that dances, is, is the animal that, that laughs, I think, is about rhythm and but what does that mean for for humans? Is it rhythm and dance which actually binds us together? Well, it's been shown to have been an important anthropological development, you know, as in the formation. Humans are good at group, forming groups and cooperating, right? And in that music and dance has been a key factor, right? So that, that was a great film. And, um, I was like, yeah, well, that's raised the bar, right? And then, um, Man with the Movie Camera Cinematic Orchestra came out, and I went to see the first performance ever, I believe. Uh, maybe not the first one, because I think the first one, do you know how it came about? Well, I heard that they were asked to do it because it was some... Um, it was for a film eight, festival. Eight, eight, was it the 80th um, uh, anniversary? But what I heard was that Cinematic were asked to play at a film festival in Porto, Portugal, right? And film festival wanted them to do a live soundtrack to a film, an existing film. And they offered them two films. One was Metropolis, Fritz Lang, yeah. classic sci-fi. And the other was Man with a Movie Camera. And Jason, being a savvy geezer, realized that Man with a Movie Camera was the one and that this was yeah. a sort of, you know, an incredible and uh, fairly unknown piece of art. If you went to film school, you probably knew about Vertov and uh, and Eisenstein and montage. You know, the, um, yeah. But if you didn't, and I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. You know. No. Um, so was that and, the uh, first time that you saw it when you went to I, the? I saw, the... It. I saw it. So I guess the cinematic went to Porto, did it, and then thought like, this is wicked. We can we can do this again. And you know, they, it, it was a marriage made in heaven, basically. Um, so, yeah. it, so then the first London performance, I believe, was at the Barbican. I went along to see it, and I was like, "Fuck me, this ups the whole ante for audiovisual art. This is the next stage in what we're trying to do. This is the next marriage between sound and image. You know, it's not as literal as timber, right? 
where you got your axe hit and the sound of the axe hit and the, the visual of it or the chainsaw but it is still extensively exploring that the relationship between the sound Definitely. and the image and um and i couldn't believe also that there were these there were sort of effects on the visuals and i thought well 1920s they didn't have any effects did they like, and so i asked this guy a friend of mine he's like I said, look, look, surely cinematic they remixed the film have they as well as done the music he's like no no man <laughs> these russian guys they invented montage in the 20s yeah. i was like oh right did they um i'm, I'm going to learn so story. much about it i don't know much about different techniques in in movie making but i'm going to learn so much about different effects just by watching this movie one minute a week because there are just so many it's just so full uh, i'm glad that i'm only doing it a minute at a time because one minute could have like 20 different effects. i mean you know the aesthetic just the aesthetic of the way they filmed it and then you know that like i said timber had a good theme well man with a movie camera has a good theme as well it's a day in the life of reality in the post-communist yeah. state it's a celebration of people of the lives of normal real people and yeah, um exactly. and the rhythms the rhythms in their lives as well going back to rhythms that's explicitly brought brought out and you know cinematic cleverly enhanced that with their use of music to go with it so i came out from that thinking like yeah this is this is up the whole ante of what we're trying to do this is shows what can be done if you take the idea of audiovisualism and montage and apply it to a film length piece shot with quality film and with a director who really knows what they're doing who's got a strong theme who's got a story to tell this is this raises the bar and um <laughs> since then uh, you know i haven't don't feel i've managed to do anything as good as that but it, um you know i've had a, had a had a go uh on a couple of occasions but um so that was the impact of man with a movie camera and uh yeah. no it's interesting with all respect to to Jason, you know, it's quite an interesting story with Jason. Jason Swinsco was a guy working in the office at Ninja Tune, and we were a small, small label. And then one day, he, he made this record with cutting some jazz samples up, and he sort of took sampling into a new territory with that. We were like, "Yeah, this is great. Let's put it out." We put it out, and he formed Cinematic Orchestra, and it started to take off. And then he did Man with a Movie Camera, and then it really started to take off. And they became a Cinematic Orchestra, which really, before that film, they weren't. But with that, oh, yeah. jump, that brilliant jump, they grabbed that uh, that title, and it um, it it worked, and the whole thing worked. So it's kind of uh, a nice story for how you know someone can do their thing and be working, you know, in a, a junior capacity, but they're there because they're ahead, because they're a music lover, right? And, yeah, uh, and you're not just working at Ninja Tune because you think you can make a lot of money, and you know you'd be better off at a bank you're working at ninja tune because you're a music head right and that's still i think the people there all fall into that as well it's, it's a conspiracy a tribe of music heads in ninja tune <laughs> yeah so should we just watch the minute and discuss what's in it that's uh that's how we do the the show sure. i've got it linked up here now this minute doesn't have any music on it <laughs> unfortunately the I don't know if you know why they did this, but the first three minutes don't have any music at all. So we're just going to watch what happens. So far, 
we've, we've had some titles and then the the man with the movie camera has just walked into the the cinema and there's nobody there it's empty so we'll just watch this minute and see what happens so we start off here with the projector so we can talk through it as as we watch it for the first time and then if you want to discuss specific bits we can go back and see them later So yeah, I've been telling my kids about old film reels and you know how it all worked with the you know with a wind-on camera and the projector and everything. It's it's amazing how much we've moved on. People don't even recognise what it is. So um, I was saying that this is a bit of an odd start to a movie because the people who saw this movie at first they've just gone through all that. They've just gone through the, the curtains and they found their seats. They they come and watch this film and on the screen they've got people coming into the cinema and walking through the curtains and finding their seats. And it's a strange way to start your movie to, to get your audience to relive what they've just done. <laughs> there was a lot going on in that one minute. It was... Um, a lot of short clips and like you were saying it's the tempo of the thing you could put music to that and it would be quite fast i would think because there's so much going on you've got the the projector itself and you've got people coming in and moving about and then you've got the animation of all the chairs that was fascinating just in 1929 or whenever he made it to actually use the that kind of technique for the animation. It starts off with one row of chairs where they they um, open up themselves, and then it's got three or four rows. Yeah, it's about rhythm. It's a repeated pattern. It's a it's a visual rhythm, which is what I was mentioning yeah. earlier. There's a lot of visual rhythms in this film, um, and so you, they're there even when you don't put them to music. You know, sometimes it's nice to, to sort of not make it too explicit you can hear the, hear the rhythm from yeah. seeing it and uh, the point that you mentioned about uh, the audience coming in and then seeing on the screen an audience coming in I think they might have seen or actually it's us you know <laughs> yeah. which in some senses it is it's a mirror and it's also feedback isn't it it's self-referential so here you've got a film that's showing on the screen a film being shown. So I'm not sure what the right word is for that, but there's a sort of self-circular reference. And, yeah. and um, things like that are interesting because we find them difficult to process. It's like kind of the square root of minus one or, you know, this is not a true statement or the statement on the other side of this page is true. The statement on the other side of this page is false, you know. Um, or, you know, I've just started the sentence I'm now in the middle of, which I've just finished. So feedback, um, feedback and stuff that loops back into itself are fundamental aspect of life consciousness and reality. Nothing interesting happens in a system unless you have feedback. If you do have a system with feedback where the output is feeding back into the input, then you can get nonlinear behavior. You can get complex behavior. 
evolving in even quite a simple feedback system. Um, and though in music, that's something that people like Hendrix worked with, with using feedback as a creative uh, effect for his guitar explorations. I've worked a lot with video feedback. So both in hardware and in software, you can take a visual processing chain, take the output, take the end of it, and feed a certain amount back into the beginning. It's all about how much you feed back in. You have to tune it. It's like with you, the guitar or the microphone. Yep. If you stand too near to the speaker, it just howls madly out of control. If you stand too far away, you don't get any feedback. So you have to find that sweet spot where there's a transition right at the boundary, where there's just enough feedback for something interesting to start happening, but not too much that it whites out or swamps out, right? So yeah. I'd say life is like that, actually, and consciousness is like that. It's a phase transition between states where you're on a boundary, a liminal state. Water is, liquid water is a liminal state between ice and steam. Ice is full order, full stasis. Nothing can move, nothing interesting can happen. Steam is full chaos. Everything's madly buzzing, buzzing around. There's no coherency no structure, nothing interesting can happen. It's only in the medium liminal state of liquid water where you actually have some structure and some energy, some freedom of movement, but not so much that it's instantly torn apart. And I believe that that's how life has come about, that we are a phase transition between ordering chaos. So I rift out a bit on the feedback idea, but I think oh, yeah. I am fascinated by um, any type of feedback process. And I think artists, I think uh, Vertov is referring to that in making that loop there. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting Just the, the using it as a, a mirror. And I thought of that when I was talking about them coming in and seeing the, the, the same thing that they've just gone through here. Um, there's to... a lot of that that goes on in the movie. Just uh, Right. Um, he, it's not uh, well, it's the man with the movie camera, isn't it? He's right yeah. there in the title. Is the yeah. feedback? They ask, yeah. you know, what color is a chameleon in a box full of mirror uh, in a box with mirrored walls? <laughs> Good question. It's a beautiful looking machine. There, seeing it on screen, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like complexity and, like I say, with all the wires and so on and crazy setups that we used to have, you look back and you think, like, well. That was mad to have to do that to get a picture on the screen. But we were driven by the desire to do something that we could imagine and then find a solution to make it happen. By George, even podcast crew. Pump up the volume, pump up the volume, boom, 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 boom. swipe that screen. One, two, three, ha! Okay, so um, I keep thinking about technology and how you, you're you using, I mean, right from the start back in 99, you're using technology to, to move things on. To you, You're not just taking stuff from the past and 
you know, remixing stuff from the past, you're also looking to the future to create the software that people can now use on their phones. And to me, that's like a revolution because what was, you know, was stuck indoors. Now I can go out to the park and I can be using Jam Pro on my phone. So I, I think that is like a, a revolution that people will be, you know, it's a free app as well. So people will be able to do so much more I'm sure there will be a, a huge movement of people using Jam Pro, and I hope um, so. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll and, see. Yeah. yeah, go on. What's the question? Yeah, well, it's it's looking into the future. So you've it seems like you've often done that with your music. You're looking at how things could be better in the future, and what what is the focus that you have at the moment for you know the, looking to the future and how how life could be better for all of us. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good segue into the activism conversation. Yeah. I mean, you know, what we've tried to do with Jam and with the, all the things we've made with the Let's Play and the, all the stuff that we've done is try and spread out the fun of playing with sound and vision in an yeah. electronic sound and vision. We have such a good time doing it. We enjoy it and it can it's a constructive fun thing to do and so we wanted to spread that out and see if other people enjoyed it as well because we know from our fans and from the scene that you know there is an appetite for it so we've been doing working towards that is the democratization of of art you know uh, previously canvases and paints and prussian blue and brushes and so on were very expensive so art was the and not to mention musical instruments, your cello and so on, you know, because it cost a fortune, all those instruments. Um, so they, it was a very restricted number of people that could have the fun of being artists and playing, being creative. Of course, you can do it with anything. You can do it with a piece of paper and a box of crayons, you know. But um, for our oeuvre of music and, and visuals, it's quite expensive so we wanted to spread that out and make it available to as many people as possible and uh, you know when i see people on the tube playing candy crush or patience if you look over someone's phone you see what they're on the tube usually they're playing patience like mate you could be making a track here you know <laughs> you'd be more fun um and uh so that's been a key part of what we're doing but you know you catch me at a time when i'm actually thinking of uh, i'm at a junction basically deciding what to do next i'm 62 now uh you know still got a few good years i always thought like i'm still going to do my best work but i think on the music and software side i'm not going to necessarily give it up but i'm switching emphasis it has got to be about something to do with reality right and the reality that's top of my stack at the moment is the ongoing environmental collapse of the entire fucking planet yeah, yeah. to me you know, I just saw some guy on LBC now who was interviewing one of the Just Stop Oil activists. I'm involved with Just Stop Oil. And this guy was still, the, the, the interview on LBC, he's still debating whether there's a fucking climate crisis. It's yeah. like, mate, that debate's over. Yeah. You know, even the, the hard, uh, I don't know, I guess some people still deny it, but, you know, you won't find any scientists who, who are credible who deny it. Now, they all, in, on the contrary, they are all shit scared about it. And um, Professor Sir David King, formerly the government's chief 
scientific advisor in the UK. Yeah, it's not just some bod. He is one of the top scientists in the UK. He said, what we do in the next three or four years will determine the fate of humanity. And, and I believe him. Yeah, and, that, and actually, that's an optimistic take on it. Especially since he said it already, I think, a couple of years ago, right? This entire rubbish, corrupt, conservative government and the governments of many countries in the UK and their oil-profiting friends have successfully held back any action. They're doing fuck all, in, in incremental changes, but not enough to catch the ball that's rolling down the hill. Um, and the ball's called the end of the world as we know it. So, you know, people get freaked out, say, oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about, or, you know, that's never going to happen. And it's very hard to imagine. I'm just looking here now, I'm talking to you on this nice uh, computer here. We're having a great conversation here in Australia. It's amazing, isn't it, technology? I'm looking out the window. It's a beautiful spring day here in the UK. Not too hot, not too cool. Um, I'm going to go down and have my lunch in a minute. Life is going on, yeah? So it's very difficult to imagine that this could all end. Of course, for some people, it has all ended already. I mean, last year, a third of Bangladesh was underwater due to flooding. In India now, it's mad, mad hot. My wife's from Mumbai, so we're in India sometimes. So it's madly hot. China, the whole of Asia is having a crazy heat wave. I think this fucking summer is going to be off the hook. In Australia, you've had your share of uh, yeah. your share of climate, de climate denial, right? With that idiot guy, <laughs> Prime Minister, who's gone now, finally, and the coal lobbies and so on. And... Um, you know, but forest fires, the fires in Australia have been a huge thing, haven't they? I just got a lovely invitation. He's an old fan and he wanted to invite me to his community on the on the east coast of Australia. Um, the entire community was destroyed by fire three years ago. Um, yeah. um, there was nothing they could do. Um, and they've, a few of them have stayed and built it back up. And I, I, I don't think I can go this year, but I, I really appreciate the invitation. It sounds marvelous what they've built there. And I want to be there. But the point is, like, it's coming on top with the uh, environmental collapse. It's going to affect all of us. It may be that here in the UK, we're sheltered from the worst of it for a while. No one knows really how long it's going to take to really come in your face fully on top. But, you know, this summer people will die from, from heat stroke here in, in the UK that wouldn't have died otherwise. Um, and uh, really, we should be talking about this only. Huh? Yeah, it's a huge, huge issue, and uh, th there are so many different options for how we find energy. And I think it, it's so typical of the government to just stick with the old ways and to to go with where the money is, basically. And yeah. you know, the, there are so many options. There's, you yourself are so into you know new technology and moving things on, but there's there's been such a such a, like a, a dull on on any development in. Well, it's, in you know, it's, it's, it has been. You know, we I don't know if we're going to get to write the history about this, right? But if we did. You know, when we look back and we'll see how this came about and we know quite a lot about it already we know that the oil companies knew what was going on and we know that they've spent a lot of money fighting a rearguard action to try and keep things as they are keep oil as the primary energy force keep making their profits and they've spawned a massive campaign of disinformation and lies to hold that back to hold back any positive change and you know basically if you've got to have a villain 
those, those are the guys that the, those yeah. the oil corporations are the ones they've they've killed the planet you know unless we can turn it around like real quick this is it for the next hundred thousand years they've killed the planet and made some nice profits whilst they were doing it and we and we're we're done unless we can catch that ball that's rolling down the hill really fucking fast and we've left it really fucking late but the you know the solutions have been there they were there in the 60s you know, renewable energy was pushed in the 60s it was in competition with nuclear energy and the nuclear lobby kind of broadly won the first porsche car in 1890 was electric you know, yeah. a guy like this inventor in the 70s in france he built his own solar powered hydrogen rig and ran his simca car off powered by hydrogen one guy in the 70s did this brilliant you know clean energy makes hydrogen you burn it you get water no pollution it's genius that we have the ability to do to get to the solutions but you know, we really need to shit and get off the pot and start start yeah. and the, and the, the oil companies are still doing it they've just had this bonanza with its fantastic war which has been superb for them and has pumped up their profits so you know a few years ago when saying all oil stranded assets not looking so good i interviewed boris, boris johnson's dad and he said the same thing don't invest in fossil fuels because they're stranded assets well that was before the war this handy war which has um increased the price of energy and the value of oil and given these guys a huge huge never seen before bonanza <laughs> which they brilliantly parlayed into pushing up the cost of living and everyone else's energy bills have gone up as they just extract these billions in i mean it's the biggest it, it's such a ripoff it's such a ripoff and we're killing the planet i mean it, it's really it's too it's too funny yeah so uh, i've been watching <laughs> your, um... <laughs> sorry mate this is what's on my Heavy mind, stuff yeah. what's no, on my, on my mind. go for it um, but i've been watching your um pirate tv shows that you do and it's mainly been about jam pro but then and i was getting into a routine of waking up at five o'clock in the morning to, to watch it um but then all of a sudden you said okay I'm, I'm stopping this for now because i'm going to this um this protest and are you going to be are you going to be performing at the protest or are you just there at, um, promoting it um the, the movement I, i'm just gonna go like full-on into activism yeah. That, that's my plan basically i'm still you know jam's doing okay but it's like now my baby's out in the world he's walking and if people like it great um and uh so it's there it's there for the people that are paying attention and, and think it's fun it, we've always been a niche thing yeah, and we've always yeah. anticipated what will come later so i'm good i've made my piece of art my instrument is out there so now it's like what's what am i going to do with my time it's got to be creative activism and if necessary you know i'll be arrested and go to jail um as a protest because you know this is this is it. This is the apartheid, the civil rights, the suffragette moment of our time. This is it. Actually, it's much bigger than those because the, the outcome is not just getting the vote or freedom for some people, the apartheid end regime in South Africa. It's the whole fucking fate of humanity. So this is it. So I'm just like, my, my question that I've just asked myself is what's my best use of my time now to be provide what little granule of positivity and um, use that I can to any kind of mitigation of the worst worst case scenario you know so that's what i'm thinking about um i'm part of just stop oil 
um, that whole debate about, you know, if you block the roads and piss people off, does it actually achieve anything? It's something I think about a lot, but I believe we've got to have disruption and force the government to change policy. Power concedes nothing without a demand from power. Reasonable process of yeah. trying to get change by lobbying and uh, democratic process is fucked. It's not happening. Otherwise, it would already have happened by now. Right, so that's not an answer, and then we're, so we're in a desperate, desperate situation. It calls for desperate measures. So I'm all in to try and be part of any solution. And I, talking anyone listening to this, um, hope uh, you ask yourself as well, and what can I do? I, I sampled a speech from Noam Chomsky recently. Noam Chomsky, probably the leading granddad of the left intellectual, the alternative view, and it's uh, I chopped it over some System Seven. A jam beats actually um and did this track that's a manifesto and you know ask yourself the most important question right now what can i do with the place that i am and the resources that i've got to be part of the solution that's the most important question for for us all now and it's a sick situation because um that the establishment I don't know if it's without going full conspiracy. People are so maxed out with just trying to live their lives and survive, do their work, raise their families, you know, at cost of living screwed down on a lot of people. So they don't feel they've got time to take any risks or get in the streets or do anything very much because they're just concentrating on the survival of them and their family. And I almost feel that this has been designed, you know, to disenfranchise people so that they don't feel that they've got any power but our tracks with chomsky's called you do have power yeah well i we were talking about what um what your favorite music video is and the first suggestion that you had was timber and of course i chose that last week as, oh, as my video. favorite so we could talk about that, but there's so many to choose from. Another no, one that I thought of was um, Panopticon, because to me, is that what you're asking? Yeah. One of our videos. All right. Oh no, no, so, just for you, it's any video that, that, that gonna, you I'm think is your favourite. Field one there. I'm not going to just plug my own stuff. Yeah. No, no. A video no, that really blew my mind. I mentioned earlier was Atomic Dog by George Clinton, right? Okay. So this came out like I don't know, about 1983, 82, 83. Yeah. And me and my mates we were totally into parliament funkadelic and getting high and psychedelics and, and and technology and computers and this was just emerging then and this video had like all these funky people george clinton and his funky crew like bopping around in a sort of like they were inside a video game and then it's superimposed over this kind of game graphics of you know the dog chasing the cat the sexy dog chasing the hot cat and uh and in very sort of crude sort of 8-bit graphics, but like you would see in a game. And this was before I, the Amiga experience. I was like, it was again, it's like, hmm, I know how they're doing that. They're doing that on a little desktop computer. I'd already messed around with Commodore Pets and stuff like that in the in the 70s even. The, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's like, yeah, this guy's just using a little computer to make a pop video. I could do that. It's brilliant. So it's com combination of um, of uh, real world action combined with with simple computer graphics. So yeah, there you go. That's what we're talking about. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. So Clinton, uh, George Clinton, actually pretty amazing innovator. He's obviously got a really good crew of people around him, um, and uh, some bright sparks must have been. Hey George, we should put some of these. Uh, make it look like a computer game. 
you know. Oh, well. Uh, the animated head there, it's, it's brilliant. So that was a big influence and um, definitely fed into, there you go. Look, it looks like a video game, right? In fact, it's like they actually made a, a video game for their pop video, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, we, uh, we were... Positive. Just now. Excellent. Well, that's amazing. And, of course, that's, it never occurred to me, but that must be where Atomic Moog comes from. Is that, is that inspired uh, by the title? Sorry, atomic Atomic Moog. That was John's title, actually. Uh, oh, okay. um, but, uh, yeah, I'd, we should have done a version Solar Moog 2000, I think, or Solar Moog 3000. But, uh, got, to take it, got to take it on. Australia, uh, I'm going to have to, to go in a little bit much, so I'd love to chat with you more. But That's Australia okay. deserves a good plug for um, some good innovation coming out of Australia. There's some great, um, you know, new um solar projects there i saw some amazing students who won a competition with their solar powered car the other day from australia as well um and you know you've got plenty of sunshine over there guys so uh, yeah, there's definitely. no energy shortage there's only an energy consciousness shortage yeah so uh, the world receives fifteen thousand times the amount of energy we use every day just from the sun um blah 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 we need to get it on i don't know if we're going to be able to <laughs> rather more difficult challenge would be how we're going to refreeze the arctic but i'll leave that one with you okay neil i'm going to sign off mate it's been a pleasure huh and, it's been um, great thanks very much for, for being my guest you're welcome and thanks for the support and long-term interest i know you're you know you're one of our guys one of the guys that gets cold cut and has been supporting what you're doing and no doubt you've been doing your own good uh, and creative and funky works in in your career as well and yeah, just to say, to uh, yeah, let's forward. And everyone who's listening in, forward to you. It's not the time to give up now. Just uh, keep rocking and some constructive action. We're not done yet. All right, then. Peace. Excellent. Thanks a lot.